Why don't we pray and then we'll get stuck in. So Father, we just come before you right now. Lord, I ask that as I speak this morning, may your words resonate in our hearts. God, whatever I say this morning that's not of you, may it fall away, Jesus, but may your heart reign this morning. May we hear your words this morning. God, may this carry over from that incredible time we just spent in your courts. And may there be something planted in our hearts that allow us to see you more and to know you more, Jesus. We love you and we honor you. And in your beautiful name we pray, amen. I'm going to speak this morning on a topic that I have felt I haven't spoken on for quite a while. And the reason that I haven't spoken on it for quite a while is I felt about six to eight months ago, God told me not to to, uh, speak until something particular happened. And it was quite an unusual thing, but not to speak about this topic until something particular happened. And during the week, that particular thing, which it doesn't matter what it was, but that particular thing happened and I felt God say, you can, you can speak on this subject. And it's quite interesting because people have asked me quite a bit, why don't you ever speak on it? Are you afraid to speak on it? And no, I'm not afraid to speak on it. I was just waiting for the right time so that I can hopefully communicate what God's been revealing. But this morning, I'm, I'm going to speak on the, the Christian F word um, or finances. And I'm going to ask us, Gee, it took a little while to click, hey? <laughs> Gee, if only we could, uh, only we could hear what people thought, what, thought I was going to next, hey? But the old, the old Christian F word. And you know, it's interesting when I hear people who haven't been in church for a while or who aren't saved or who are angry at the church. And this topic is a very big point of contention. And I want to ask, I'm... I originally was going to just speak on it this morning and then I sat down to write and get my thoughts in order and realized I can't do all of what I want to do this morning. So I'm going to drag it over two weeks. So hopefully if it's okay this morning, you'll be here next week and you can hear the second part of it or we'll just, I'll just do it to myself. Eh? But what I, want to, what I want to start with and what I want you to understand in a big way is this. This house... This church doesn't need your money. It's not that we are at a place where I'm saying we need money and I've got to go and speak on finances because we need your money. Jess and I believe very, very contently that God has called us to lead this house and that this house has an impact in this city and in this nation. So I know with all that's in me that whatever way it comes, God will give us the finances. But the reality is, is that it does take money to keep this place open, to pay the bills, to put coffee in the machine, to pay the staff members, to have the equipment and all those things. That does take money. And yes, we use some of the tithe money, which I'm going to show in a minute, to do those things. But what I mean by the church doesn't need your money is that I really believe that if you don't bring it, somebody else will. And the problem with that is that there is a spiritual principle in, in, in sowing and reaping that there is a return that comes to the person who sows. And my challenge in this is that if it's not you that sows and somebody else sows, that it's also somebody else who reaps. So my challenge this morning, what I want to get across is that I want to sow and instill principles into us as disciples of God to reap of the spiritual financial principles that God has in his kingdom. Does that make sense? So for me, when I look at this, I go, God, why, why is money such a point of contention? Your kingdom says, it says that there is enough money in your kingdom that could pay all of our lives thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times over and over and over again. Yet when I look at the church and when I look at ministries and when I look at Christians, this topic is one that riddles us again and again and again and again. And kind of during the week in my frustration, I was saying, God, I don't, even, I don't want to talk about finances. I want us all to be in a place where we don't have to talk about this and we can just get on with the other things. But we've lost a, the position that God is asking us to step into, the foundational principles that allow us to step one upon the other. And you know what's interesting? When you go to some of the wealthiest people in the world, you go to some of the biggest organizations, you go to some of the most founded people in the secular world and finances, guess what they follow? these biblical principles. And to me, I'm like, oh man, 
Why is it that Jeff Bezos can understand the Christian giving principles and make squillions of dollars and Christians sitting in churches are broke and crying out all the time because they won't apply the simplicity of your principles, God? So hopefully in the next two weeks, I'm going to explain these principles and I'm going to also ask a couple of guys who have had breakthrough in this area to come and share some testimony. Because this is an area for me, I, I really believe, and maybe I'm a couple sandwiches short of a picnic, but I do really believe that God is going to move in this area, in this house. I was chatting with Josh and Sean during the week and just dreaming, and I said, you know, why can't the church have millions of dollars in the bank? So if a young Christian entrepreneur comes in and says, I've got this idea, I need you to back me, we can just go, here it is. Let me teach you how to be a minister in the marketplace. Let me sit with you and, and actually train your, 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 um, your missional kingdom understanding so that you can go and be a lawyer with your own firm, but lead in Christian principles. Be Christ in the world in your law firm, in your accounting firm, as a concreter, as a chippy. You know, I just, I just look at this and I go, imagine if, imagine if we had... Um, uh, uh, a chippy come in and say, Ben, I, I, I'm a Christian, I'm a kingdom man, I want to live with kingdom principles and I actually want to create a work environment where on the job site there is no foul talk, there is no language, there is no swearing, there is no smutty talk. Now all you chippies out there are going, that's a big, all you workers out there go, that's a big task. Yeah, but it's got to start with us. It's got to start here. So if we can actually flip the script on what it is where they say that's the culture in the place. Yeah, but we're supposed to be light. We're supposed to be salt. Salt changes the flavor of the thing you're eating. So what we're doing in this place is I'm going, God, can we be in some way an a organization that changes and flips the script, that flips the culture? Where in order to be a minister or working in the ministry, you don't have to come and work for the church. You'd be a minister out in the marketplace. So what I think God is leaning us into, what he's, what, he, what he's revealing to us in this, is that there's some principles that we have to go back to understanding. I don't speak, or we don't speak in this house every Sunday. We don't give a small tithing sermon. The reason for that is that we shouldn't have to. These should be principles that are ingrained in all of us where you don't have to be reminded to go and give your tithe. With that being said, everything that I'm going to speak about in the next two days, I have as a note on here, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Something my mum used to always say. Well, everything that I'm going to speak about in the next two days, myself and Jess do personally, and this house as an organisation does. When I started going to church, I remember thinking, we asked the people to give 10%, depending on what church you're in, to give 2.5%, which we're going to explain about, to live a life of giving. But then we get to the organization of the churches itself and they hoard the money. I remember thinking that, that's upside down to me. If you're going to say that, that God is the provider and that we should live a life of giving, then the church as an organization should live a life of giving. So when we started leading, I said to, to Josh and Jenny and Jeremy and Katie at the time, who are, we meet with regularly to just strategize for the finances. I said, I don't care how much money we have come in to this church. We give 2.5, we give 10% every week. I don't really care where it goes, what ministry it goes into. And if we can't pay our bills, we give 10% of what does come in. If only $10 comes in, we give $1. Had to note that down for my maths. Why? Because it's a principle that I believe in. It's a principle that if I'm willing to preach from this barrel, I better be willing to do it with the finances in the accounts. So I said to Jez and to, to Jenny and Josh and the team, everything we preach is a principle, we do. Everything we preach is a principle, we do. In our personal lives as leaders and in the ministry of the church. So we give, we give every month. And sometimes it's really exciting, sometimes it's really scary because you go, oh, that could pay something. I could pay that bill we have looming, send it. 
Because the principle of tithing, the principle of sowing and reaping is foundational and it's a kingdom principle. And if we learn how to achieve it with us and God in the quiet place, then the, the kingdom um, Christians in, in the ministry and in the marketplace will learn how to do it. Imagine if the top 10 wealthiest people in the world with the biggest businesses were sold out kingdom men and women. Imagine if the Amazons, the Ebays, the Facebooks of the world weren't greedy, money-hungry people, but were kingdom business, were sold out for God. This business is for you. All of a sudden, it flips the power struggle to be in the hands of the kingdom men and women. See, I think God is giving us a picture that's way bigger than we can even begin to imagine. But the challenge with that, the challenge with the financial thing is that God says, you be faithful with the small thing I've given you because then I'll give you more. The Bible says, how can I... No, I can't quote that quite well. <laughs> Sorry. We'll get to that. I'm jumping ahead. Can I, Kat, can I just see slide number uno, please? All right. This is the, the finances for 2020. I want to apologize that we didn't do this last year, but... 2020 just got ahead of us. But this was the finances for last year. I'm not going to break it down because I'm going to break down this year's one as to where we're up to. But in this house, 230K came in and 189K went out. So can I see the next slide, please? This is where that money went out in 2020. Outgoing should have just been an operating cost, I think. I'm not sure what that is, Jez. Yeah, it's just bits and pieces. Should have just been in, in operating costs. So 72,000 plus the seven, 70, whatever, 9.5 thousand is, is what it takes for us to run this place. But the reason that that, that is lower and will be higher this year is that we had at that time two, uh, three employees. We now, the church currently has five. So a part of that is is stuff that it takes to run the power, the electricity, the building, the equipment, the food, the the coffee that goes in the machine, all those things. The next one is the employee cost, which is 63000 That was for, at that time, myself, Haley, and Jeremy. The last one is the giving, which I was so impressed that we were able to do, that this house, this tiny little house on the Gold Coast, was able to sow $44,000 last year in a time of what seemed as crisis into this nation and the nations. The areas that we sow at the moment are to um, Dave and Shree as YWAM, Mal and Edie as Set Free Care, Jeeva and Susan in India, Devlin and Zurika in Sri Lanka, and to um, Charmaine, which is Mike's wife. This tiny house was able to do that. I was so impressed and I was so amazed by what God has done. Not to mention other little things that we were able to do along the way, buy people certain things that they needed, pay bills when people were at need, those sorts of things. So that to me is incredible, but that is all of us. Well done. Well done for being faithful to give and to sow and to see what this little house is being able to do. We've been able to sow into churches that have been in need and it's hard for us to to give testimonies of that because we want it to stay below the radar. So I apologize for the way that we communicate some of the stuff that this house can do. But there has been times where we've just helped and we came together as a finance team and we said, we can help, let's help. Um, and we can't do a praise report on that because they may not want anybody to know and it's hard to do that. So this is kind of the way that we've done that. This church, this house, us as a church, as a people, are having an impact in this city and in the nations. That excites me. It should excite you guys because you it's, it's, it's all of us. It's not just Ben and Jess. It's not just the finance team. It's all of us. So if we just jump to the next slide, please, Kat. This is 2021, currently January to May. It has a lease of a breakdown because it's hard for us during the middle of a year to run the figures. But at the moment, 78,000 has come in. And uh, again, outgoing and operating costs are close to the same, 32,000 and employee costs are 53. The reason the employee costs are higher at the moment is we now have five employees in the church who work part-time on an on and off basis. Myself, um, who works full-time, Jez, who works part-time, uh, Coco, who works part-time, 
Kayla, who works part-time, and Paola, who cleans for us, which we also were able to bring in. So there is a phenomenal growth and expanse in, our, in, in this place that two years ago we couldn't afford me on a minimum wage. Now we're able to afford five people on a minimum wage, which is amazing. Again, well done. There is, we should be very stoked with that. Not only can we afford five people on minimum wage, but we're also able to sow out, um, what are we at this, this at the moment? 15,000 since up until May. Well done. Does anyone have any questions off that before I get into where I want to go? I won't be offended. I just may say I don't know. No? Once, twice, thrice. Okay. That is phenomenal, guys. So when I say, when you look at some of those things and you say, how much money needs to come in and go out? Yes, we need finances in this house to establish it, to keep it going, to keep doing what we're doing. But again, I really believe that God, God has given us money from the most unusual places. And, and sums that we've gone, God, what are we doing with this? And then all of a sudden, somebody else has had a need where God said, sow it. That's amazing. For a house this large, I know because I've spoken with other leaders and it's not a us versus them. It's just, I think, the, uh, the, again, the reinforcement of the Christian principles and the stewardship. There are bigger houses in debt. We don't have any debt. We're able to just let money come in. God, where are you sending it? And send money back out. We're building slowly, but it's allowing us to have an impact in the city. Is that okay? Does everyone understand? They get it? Some of you are going, ugh, I don't like talking about this with my own finances, let alone somebody else's. But I just want to, I just want to really emphasize the fact that we are having an impact not just in what we carry in this house, but financially as well. We're able to actually achieve what it is God's doing. But the other thing that I want us to understand is that the reason we can do that is based on these biblical principles, which I'm going to go into now. It's based on the reality to say, God, everything that we do, we do for you. So we don't want the big things and all the bells and whistles. We're not pouring all our money into stuff. The reason this building is slowly being upgraded is that I refuse to go into debt so that the building looks nice. As a family, we slowly chip away. In your house, you go, I want the fancy coffee machine. At the moment, we've got the, the, the dirty press until we can get to the fancy coffee machine. And that's what we're doing in here. We have ideas of things we want to do, but slowly. God, as God gives, we are able to increase. I would love to bring more people on staff. But slowly, God, what's next? What's the next step? Where do we give first? And then what's the next step? And that's the way we operate in this house. That's the way Jess and I operate in our home. And that's what I hope to be able to teach over the next two day, two weeks to us. Is that okay? What's good for the goose is good for, for the gander. What we do here, we are, we are, what we explain, what we do. All right, if you've got a Bible with me, go to Matthew 6. While you're going there, I just want to say this as well. Strategically, I don't look at the finances, either does Jess. We see an overall balance of the accounts, but we don't go through and itemize all the things that come in. Jez and the team do that. The reason for that is I don't want you guys to feel Ben knows how much and when and if I tithe or don't tithe. I don't do that. I don't know. Aside from time to time where I have to find something in the accounts because it's gone wrong, I will see a little bit. But purposefully, I don't look. Why? Because it doesn't matter. I'm not looking at the uh, tithing accounts and go, oh, gee, Sean hasn't tithed in a while. Maybe he, he doesn't like me. I better go talk to him. He's, a, he's backsliding. He's a backslider. We don't do that. I don't do that. Because your finances are not to do with me. They're between you and the Father, between you and God. Just as in the same way, if you tithe into this house or give into this house, you don't get to dictate where that money goes. You are giving it unto the storehouse and you believe that this is the storehouse. You are sowing that money and you are trusting the elders, myself and Jess, in 
in uh, teamwork with Paul Tothill and the finance team that we have who see all of that, that we're going to make the decision God is telling us to do. And we're accountable to the Australian bodies, the ACNC and all those things. But what we don't have is you don't get to dictate where the finances go. And the other thing is you don't get to stronghold anybody in the church with your giving. If you don't do this, I'm withdrawing my giving. There's a nice glass door that slides open over there. I know that may sound harsh, but there's, a, there's an establishment here to say, no, we believe in this, that God has given myself and Jess the authority to lead this house. And Kirsten just said that I get to put on the authority. So I'm popping it on. <laughs> but in the same take, we will explain all of what we do. We are accountable and we will explain why we feel God told us to do that. Why we emptied our storehouse to give to a person who was in need. Well, God told us to do that. It doesn't make any sense, but that's what we've done. So there's a reality in that, but I just want you to know that. So uh, Matthew 6, 24. Very simple verse that you can't touch on with that you can't touch on finances without going to. Because it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be uh, devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I, I say this verse to say this next line, because this could get me, if we were bigger, this would get me on a YouTube video. But in this house, we believe in prosperity. I have major issue with the prosperity gospel, but in this house, we believe in prosperity. Why? Because I also believe in a thing called sola scriptura, which is that the Bible is the word of God and is the foundation for our belief and faith. And what I see in that Bible, what I see in the scriptures, is that God wants us as a people to prosper. So when you say, I don't believe in prosperity, you go, well, I don't understand. Because God does. He's a father who gives us good gifts. How in the world, how, how can you not believe that as a people we're supposed to prosper? Of course we're supposed to prosper. When I look out over all of us, I go, man, imagine if, if we had amazing financial stewardship principles. We understood the kingdom and God said, here's $20 million to all of you. And you go, nope, nope, nope. Not supposed to prosper. Now, obviously, that prosperity is not just wealth, but at the moment, I'm speaking about wealth. But in that $20 million, all of you were able to establish businesses, ministries, churches, homeless shelters, adoption clinics, and all based on kingdom principles and allow those things to thrive and change a broken world. See, the prosperity, when I set my eyes on prosperity, is for prosperity's sake. And guess what happens? It burns in the fire like Paul talks about in Corinthians. When I set my gaze upon prosperity, when I set my gaze upon the big house, upon the big car, upon, upon the lavish lifestyle, flying jets here and there, when my gaze is set on that, I will reap what I sow. When mammon becomes the spirit in which rules our life, we will always see destruction in our finances. If you were working extra hours at work to get a bigger car, to get a bigger house, because you need that to make you feel better, then you've got to start to wonder, what's ruling my life? Who's my king? What spirit is behind what's leading me step after step? What lantern is guiding my feet? But if God says, Tim, I need you to succeed in this industry because I'm going to give something to you that no one else can carry. And you go, God, are you sure? This is where I'm leading you. And then all of a sudden, hand over fist, money starts flowing. And God says, Tim, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I can't trust the others around you because they don't know my heart like you do. Here's more finances. Here's more finances. Here's more finances. And every time Tim turns, he says, God, what next? I just got, I just got given five million for no reason. What's next? Sow it. Sow it here, place it there. See, all of a sudden, the kingdom starts becoming not bound by money, but actually free in money. Freeing yourself in finances doesn't mean getting rid of it all and being poor on the street. That's not the freeing of finances. Freeing of finances is changing your heart so that it never, ever stops seeking Christ because he will lead you in your finances. 
I stand very strongly against the fact that as Christians, we should be all poor and without any money. Because I look at, I look at the king and his kingdom is, is, is designed in gold. Because I look at a king and he gives us a crown filled with jewels. Why? Because he says, this is beautiful, but it's not what I have for you. I've got even bigger than this. So as a people, as we start to learn the foundations of the principles of God and he starts to guide our hand, it doesn't matter what money comes and goes because I'm in his plan, his purpose, his will. So it doesn't matter if I'm rich, it doesn't matter if I'm poor, it doesn't matter if I'm anywhere in between because his kingdom, his plan, his purpose is always what's at the center of my heart. But the moment that shifts and we start to worship mammon, the moment that shifts and we allow that spirit of mammon to grip my heart and I'm challenged before me with with Tim's new car because it's much better than mine or Sean's new house because it's much better than mine or Dave Bass's Bass's new fancy hat because it's much better than mine. Then I just felt like you'd be a hat guy. Yeah. (laughs) Prophesying over you. Oh, Lord, give me that. Does that make sense? See, it's the thing that's in my heart now. If I can't be stoked for Sean in his new house and pumped for Tim in his new car, I've got to start to work out what's the jealousy in my heart? What's the financial displeasure that's in my heart? If I go home at night and say, God, why can't I have that? Why am I still living in this box? Why am I still driving this beater? I thought you loved me. You love him? Then I have to start to ask, God's going, my boy, I want to give you all of those things. But there's something poisonous in your heart. I want to give you the house. But there's something poisonous in your heart. I want to give you the money. But there's something poisonous in your heart. And it'll wreck you. So what I've got to do is wait until your heart's right. What I've got to do is wait until your heart's right. Because when your heart's right, see all of this that's in the heavenly? You can steward it and I'll give it to you. See, when we operate outside of God's plan, we start to, prosperity starts to seek in and become the thing that we start to worship. We start to worship in a place where we say all these things and God says, I never knew you. But Lord, you gave me this ministry. You gave me this thing. You gave me all that money. Yeah, but I never knew you. You used my principles to achieve wealth and greatness, but I never knew who you were. You see, you know why that book, The Secret, came out and it changed everybody's world? It's a kingdom principle. Of course it's going to change people's world. Of course they're going to be able to tap into a realm that exists. But guess what happens when they come before the Father? I never knew you. But you gave me all those things, but I never knew you. See, the moment we shift our gaze from Christ, the moment we move away from Jesus, we lose what it is he's doing for us. Matthew 6, 33, a little bit later after it says that you cannot serve both God and money, it says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God, I need more friends, seek his kingdom. God, I need more money, seek his kingdom. God, I need more um, position at my workplace, seek his kingdom. God, I need, I need, I need, I need, seek his kingdom, seek his kingdom, seek his kingdom. Why? Because in his kingdom are the foundations of everything that he gives us. See, a father will never give a son a gift that would hurt him. If Sean went and bought River, a full dirt bike and said, here you go, my boy, get on it. Go down the back. I won't watch you. Just do what you've got to do. It would be silly. So a father looks and he says, I've got it for you. Of course, I'll buy you the dirt bike, but let's get you a pedally bike first. Let's get you some training wheels. Let me see you do that. Then we'll step you up into the next one. We'll step you up into the next one. We'll step you up into the next one, but always keep your eyes on me. Always seek the kingdom and I will put your feet in the right place. But you know, it's hard because at times 
seeking the kingdom doesn't make any sense. You know, I've been in, in conversations with Jez where we've, we've been a little bit tight for a bill or a little bit tight in that week. And there's two things that we could do. We could touch the storehouse or we could not give that week and both of those things would pay the bills. But we come to the conclusion of, well, we just got to wait. We're not going to not give and we don't feel to touch the storehouse, so we have to wait. Now, in any other mindset, it would be just don't give and give double next week. Or just don't, just touch the storehouse and pay it back next week. But see, the principles that we're instilling is no. Because when I trust and honor the Father, when I operate in the kingdom, I know that his goodness and his riches will come. When I operate with my eyes set on him, I know that the thing that I'm missing will always make play. So I say, Jez, pay the tithe out. Let's just wait. And always, it's almost like I expect it now. I get a text, money came in, bills being paid. Fantastic. Pay the workers. Why? Because they deserve it. Pay the tithe. Why? Because it's a principle that God, we're honoring him. But then we'll be left with $3 in the account. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. So let's just pray and wait but we never break the principles because God has given us a way to live. And I think sometimes maybe in, in all of his mystery and his genius, he says, will you trust me? Yes, Lord, I'll trust you. When money's coming in, yes, Lord, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. And then the money stops and we go, <gasps> and God says, will you trust me? But when you live a life on those principles, when you live a life where you go, God, you've never let me down. God, you've never let me. But you know, the challenge in that is that I don't want us to be a people who constantly lives on that line. I did a sermon quite a while ago about called Fighting for Overthrow. And the, 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 the principle of, of that sermon, the principle of what God had shown me in that time was that you can have breakthrough, financial breakthrough all the time. But the reality is, is that God wants to set you up in a place of overthrow. And I use that, that movie, Troy, and where the Greeks are coming to the city and they have war breakthrough after war breakthrough after war breakthrough. But the city, the city always sits in this beautiful place. And behind the walls, all the, the members of the, the Trojan army of, of the, the, the city of Troy sit comfortably and they make decisions from the comfortability of the, of the tower. And what I think God is telling us is that he doesn't always want us to be faith to the dollar, faith to the dollar, faith to the dollar. Why? Because in that moment, then I can only ever look after myself and my family. In that moment, I can only ever look after myself and my family. But when you operate into a place of overthrow where there's excess in the bank and you're standing in the shopping center and a single mom's got a trolley full of groceries, you don't bat an eyelid to say, here it is because I'm no longer going faith for my own dollar. I'm now faithing for your dollar. See, and that's the difference. I'm not struggling from little position to little position to little position. What I'm doing is saying, now I can give five people in the week everything they need. But I start to say, God, where are they? Who are these people? God, put in my path somebody who needs some of what I've got. Put in my path whoever it is. And you know, it challenges me. It challenges me because it's so simple. And we aren't in a position to do it. And I was saying to the guys during the week, imagine if someone came in and said, Ben, I need a car. This is my story. I just need a car and I'll change everything. And I can reach to my back pocket and go, here it is. Here it is. I've been serving God my whole life, man. I, need, I don't understand the principles. I don't understand. I just need a leg up. Here it is. Now let me walk with you. Let me show you the, the king that I know. Let me show you the foundations that I know. Let me show you the kingdom that he lives in and that we get called to live in. And all of a sudden we start changing little bit by little bit. But God is using me. Jess and I were in New York City um, Quite, I don't remember how long ago it was, like three years maybe. Two, yeah, three years, 2019, I think. 
and we were in the middle of, of New York City in Wall Street, and I remember seeing the, um, the bull, right, the, the statue that the, the, is in Wall Street to depict the strength of, of Wall Street and the strength of American finances. And they've now put a statue that's just in front of that statue of a little girl. It was done in 2007. And it's a little girl standing with her, her um, fists on her hips, staring at the bull. And on the little plaque of the little girl, it says that this is a picture of women in finances. It was like the, the, the hey, it's all men, but now we've got women coming in to lead and to, to run in finances. And I remember laughing and going, it's a weird picture to use for women in, in the finance. Like, why not like a lioness or, you know, why a little girl? Because you look at it and you go, the bull's going to trample this little girl. Like, so I remember walking away going, what in the world was that? But then I was reading a book by Adam Thompson's friend, Adrian Beale, who's a prophetic teacher. And he has a chapter on that little girl. And his take was this. His take was that little girl is actually a prophetic picture of the church. He said that little girl is a prophetic picture of what God has for the church in the realm of finances. And he writes this in his book, which is called Hidden Treasures in Plain Sight. He says, the girl is a representation that the time has come to loosen the grip the secular world has on the world's economy. That in the spirit, the statue represents an emerging and maturing prophetic church, the bride of Christ. That is now being positioned to challenge the hold on finances held by secular society. He has a beautiful picture to explain that the church in the realm of finances has been a tiny, insignificant dot on the radar of the world. And he says, of course, it's a little girl. It's a little girl because it's only just starting to come into maturity. It's only just starting to step into the realm of finances. But that God is calling the people of God, the, 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 the Christian nations, to step in and to take back what was once given to them and to rule and reign in the realm of, in the realm of finances. And as I started to think about this and, and, and go through what it was that was being said, I started to realize that's us. That's the position we've been given as a church. Not for God to just dump money in our accounts and us be little children and not know what to do with it, but to rise up businessmen and women, to rise up wisdom-minded people, to rise up ministers who think differently in order to actually see that this is not just something that the world has and we get to dabble a little bit in it, but God's saying, prepare yourself and ready your sword to step into a realm that Christianity has been missing for in for so long. God needs you and I as his people to step back into a realm that's been missing from for so long to not have our hand out and say, please, can I have some more? But to be the people who are saying, we've got so much. How can I guide you? How can I help you? How can I lead you? That the worldly leaders, the worldly businessmen men and women would be coming to kingdom-minded people to say, how in the world did you do that? And there'd be an open forum to say, this is what we did. We set our eyes on the kingdom of God and we never took them off. What is this kingdom of God you speak of? Are you guys okay? Can I have 15 more minutes? Is that okay? That one guy's like, no, but I can't say no. 10. Louis asked for 10. I'll go for 20 and we'll see how we go. I just want to finish with this. I, I do want to finish this with this, but it's, a, it's quite a big thing to finish because there's two points that primarily get argued in churches and, and with non-Christians in the church realm about tithing and giving. The first one is that we don't have to do that anymore because it was an Old Testament thing and we are now under a new covenant and there's a new law. So under the law, we used to tithe. Now we don't have to. The second argument is this, is that you can't use a 2,000-year-old text to tithe and get people's money because they used to tithe and give in fruits and um, farming goods. I'm going to deal with the second one first because it's really simple. If your primary commodity that you trade in, in your life, is farming goods, you can use that argument. So if you bought your new phone for two chickens and a cow, then you can have that argument. But if you didn't do that, if you actually used dollars and cents, which is what makes this world go round, 
then you can't use that argument. They used farming goods because that was what their primary commodity was. Right? They, were, they were farmers. So they tithed in fruit. They tithed in a cow or a chicken. They, they sacrificed their, their main uh, chicken or cow or, or ram because that was a, an income source. What we have in today's day and age is dollary dues in Australia and cents or dollars, just dollars, but they're going to call it dollary dues. It's just a matter of time. So it's, that's, that's pretty clear. You guys, I mean, if you, if, you trade with, if you trade with cows and chickens and fruit box, bring it in. I'll take the t- we'll take the T-bones. We'll put that through the system. I don't know how you do that in zero. He ties one cow, but we, we'll work it out. And we'll put the barbecue, the, the breakfast in a few weeks will be on whoever brings the cow, right? If you've got a Bible with you, go to Genesis chapter 14 for me. Genesis chapter 14. Verse 17 and 19. One day I hope to to preach through who Melchizedek is and the power of the line of Melchizedek, but we're not there now. But for now, we'll just deal with it as it it shows in this text. But Genesis 14, chapter 14, verse 17 says this. After his return from the defeat of Charamah and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavia. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, bought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you say I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and share of the men who went with me. Let Anir, Eskol, and Mama take their share. So Abram, in the valley of the kings, Melchizedek comes before him. And there's two things that we see Melchizedek bring in this position. There are two things that carry over from them, which I might add is before the law. The law has not been established yet. Does everyone understand that? There has been no establishment of the law. Melchizedek brings two things you can notice in that text, bread and wine. He brings bread and wine. The first is that he brings before Abram a very ancient thing that was to take place, bread and wine, the body and the blood he brings before. The Eucharist he brings. The second thing that he brings is that he brings before Abram a tithe. Abram feels in that moment to give him a tenth, one-tenth, not just of the money that he had taken from the war, but one-tenth of what? Everything. He says to Melchizedek, because of the victory that I've been given right here in this battleground, I will give, I will give back to God because he was a high, Melchizedek was a high priest. I will give back to God one-tenth of everything. And then the kings of the, of the armies he just defeated said, well, why don't you take all of what we have? And Abram says something very interesting. He says, no, because at least those people will see that you made me rich, not that God made me rich. So he leaves behind the things that were to be given to him. But he gives forth a tenth of everything. See, we say, well, you've got to bring your tenth in to the storehouse, which we're going to speak about next week. But we, we draw it down just to finances. No, Abram was saying, God, I'll give you a tenth of all that I have. That's my time, my resources, my energy, my family, my workspace. I will give you a tenth of everything. So we have to start to decide, what does that look like? What does 10% of your time look like? What does 10% of your workplace look like? What does 10% of your family look like? What does my life look like in that? See, Abram understood that it was God that gave him the victory in the valley, that without him, nothing could have happened. 
See, we can look at our jobs and go, yeah, I work 40 hours a week and I bring home 150K for the year, but I earn that. I do that. But we forget the position that God gave you the position. God gave you the ability and the, and the tools that were in your hand. God gave you the skills. He equipped you with the words that were in your mouth. He equipped you with that boss, with that place. Because when you lose your job, you go back and say, Lord, send me another job. Send me another position. God sends you another position and go, no, I earned this position. But Abram understood right from the beginning, if it wasn't for God and the promises that he gave me, I would have never been a victor in the valley. So although all these spoils are mine, God, I give back to you. We sang a song this morning, which I thought was very interesting. Lord, you gave us your breath, so now we give it back to you. See, God gave us his life. That's why he asks us to die for him and to live for him because he gave it to us. That's the same way that God is asking us to operate. He's saying, I've given you all that you have, I've given you. All that you have, I've given you. And he's saying, but will you give me just 10%? Just 10%. And I will continue to sow. I will continue to build. See, Abram understood that as he was sowing into that place, he was going to reap of more of what God had for him. But that's not why he did it. See, he didn't give the 10% in order to reap later. He understood that he had already reaped. He understood that he had already been given the promise. See, we don't live a life of giving in order to get something on the other end. That's not love. We live a life of giving because God has already given us. You don't sow for the principle of reaping. You sow because God has given to you. Does that make sense? Is, everyone, is anyone upset? <laughs> Does anyone have a question? I'm happy to take questions. If you're happy for me to sometimes answer, I don't know. I am going to break down the four areas of a life of giving next week, and I'm going to bring some testimony. But what I want us to establish today is simply this. God has given you all that you have. And what is in you is to ask God, where do you want me to give back? That may look like this house, because you, you deem this place the storehouse. You believe God's called you here to establish, to help us to continue to do what we're doing in the nations and in this nation. But it's also on your day-to-day, -day, on your drive to work, at work, when someone's telling you a story of absolute heartache and you start saying, God, what can I do? What do I do for this guy? What do I do for this gal? Is it time they need? Do I pray for them? Do I sit here and listen to them? Do I give them the money they need? When we start to set our gaze on him and ask him, what do you want in this situation? And we start to live the life, the kingdom way, God will start to open the floodgates and we will find ourselves in the most unusual position, speaking to the most unusual people, being able to sow into what it is they're doing, being able to pull them out of depth and despair. Does that make sense? Why don't you stand and we'll just pray. The reason that we don't put this at the back and we don't bring this around is because it's a joyful thing to bring finances before God. It's an exciting thing to see how I'm sowing and, and what that looks like. The reason I don't come and bring it before you or get whoever's leading to come and hold it before you is because we're not taking it from you. This house is not taking your tithe. You were sowing it. And sometimes sowing a field or all the time means I've got to do a little bit of what's uncomfortable. I've got to grab the plowshare. I've got to hold on. I've got to rip the ground up. So when we have this basket out here and we do it during worship, is because it's a part of our worship for you to come before God. I've had someone ask me, yeah, but it's embarrassing that people see that I'm coming out and sowing. It was embarrassing when David danced through the streets naked. That's two nude references, Shri. Uh, Shaz, you started that. <laughs> but there is, an, a, there is a, a, an excitement and a joy when we come before the Lord and we give him our finances. 
There is an excitement before the Lord when I spend time with that guy who needs it. There is a joy and an excitement as I come and I bring my finances to God. That's why we do that. So Father, I ask right now, Lord, as we stand in this place, God, that your kingdom would be understood in our hearts as we reach in. Father, I pray that everyone who has ever put finances in this basket, anyone who has ever sat beneath you to understand how to give and how to sow, that you would increase the life of their giving 10, 50, 100 fold. But Lord, that you would increase the finances in their life. You would increase the position they have to sow more and more into your kingdom 10, 50, 100 fold. God, you know the needs in our heart. Lord, there are people here this morning who have needs. Father, I pray as they open their heart to hear how to live a life in you, that those needs would be met. Father, by the, end of this, by the end of the day, the faith in the room to stretch into finances would see the means net of everyone here this morning. And God, I pray, Lord, that, that finances would cease being a, a moment of contention for us individually and for the church as a whole. God, that we would understand the fullness of what you have in your kingdom. Father, I pray for businessmen and women in this place, Lord, that their businesses would be aligned with your kingdom, that their hearts would be ascended with you. God, I pray for, for industry leaders here this morning, for businessmen and women leading in companies, Lord, that they would carry your kingdom into those places. That as they begin to ask, how do they do that, God, you would give them wisdom and strategy in those places to be a light and salt to be ministers in the marketplace. That every single person here, Lord, has put their hand to say, I am a son and a daughter of yours. That they would be able to step into those realms and bring the light into those dark places. Father, I thank you for everything you've given us. God, I thank you that you have poured into this house in extraordinary ways. I thank you for for myself and for Jess personally, for the finances that you've allowed us to step into. God, I thank you for all the things you've given us. We are thankful for this building. We are thankful for the coffee that you allow us to drink, for the music equipment, for the chairs we sit on, for the lounges we lounge in. Father, I thank you for all of that, God. And with our hands outreached, we say, what is next for us to give into? What is the next step for us to take, the next position for us to walk? God, help us to steward what you've given us here and allow us to see how we continually walk into more. Jesus, we love you. We worship your name. We declare your kingship in this house. We declare your kingship in this city. And we declare your kingship in this nation. We love you. We honor you. And in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.